Hi friends, this is Kelly with Wishful Drinking and Binge Thinking, the podcast where I get just absolutely hammered and I dole out psychological advice. That's right, I am going to be more drunk than that girl you met in the bar bathroom after your karaoke set who said, you have such good stage presence, oh my god. That's right, zero preparation, multiple drinks, countless profound gems. Tune in the last Monday of every month on Fearscape Media Network. There is no question that something is here, lurking somewhere in the darkened corners. But how will we ever find out what it is? We need to look, always, and never stop, no matter what stands in our way, no matter what others may think. Explore the darkness. Shine light into it. Join the red strings and the silver threads. Everything is connected. Somehow. I am Mark L. Watson. This is Peer Beyond the Veil. It started with the untimely death of my grandfather. Um, He went to work one day and was killed while he was driving a truck. The mysterious thing was this happened at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a New Jersey road right across the street from a diner. Yet nobody saw anything what happened. Nobody saw if another truck came by and and hit him. But he was found pretty much crushed crushed from the waist up. Um, Stories at the location varied on what happened to him. Some people say he saw men getting into a fight with him or people from the diner reported that, you know, they saw like a scuffle. Some people claim they didn't see any of that happen. So it was a mystery. But as my family started to think about his death, they started thinking about the weeks leading up to it. And the weeks leading up to his death, there were signs that started to come through. And anybody who believes in spirit believes that at times they can come through and try to convey a message to the living. So what happened was about three or four weeks before my grandfather passed away in that horrible accident, or if he was murdered, uh, my grandmother woke up one night screaming, screaming in bed. And my father ran into the room to check in on her. My grandfather never even heard it. And my father, you know, asked her, he, you know, said, mom, mom, is everything okay? And she said, it was a terrible dream, terrible dream. Next night, she went to sleep in her daughter's bedroom. She figured maybe I'll change the location. Maybe it's just, you know, just try a different room out in the house. Again, woke up in the middle of the night screaming, screaming. My grandfather now in the master bedroom still never heard anything. And my father came in to check in on her. 
And this time she says, Rich, my mother came to me. Now her mother's at this point in 1972 has probably been dead like 30 years. And she described her to like the T. And even when she went to hold on to my great grandmother, she said her arm felt clammy, cold and clammy. And she looked very dead. And again, my grandfather never woke up. Father's coming home from work one night, looks up at the apartment window that, that they lived in and could see a silhouette of somebody looking out the window as he, as he was parking the car, goes up into the apartment building. Nobody was up. My grandmother was asleep. My grandfather was asleep. His sister was asleep in her room. So nobody was up in the house. So all these things are leading up to his end. Um, there was one more incident that happened the day that my grandfather went off to work. My, my grandmother had to go to court. She was chosen for a jury duty. And as she was in her kitchen, she actually started hearing rattling. The, the plates were rattling. The, the lights were kind of going on and off. And she had a bad feeling. She's like, something's going to happen. Because my, grand, my, my grandmother, believe it or not, was very clairvoyant. Um, even with her side of the family, they would have seances. So they were open to spirit. So as this was all happening, she felt deep down inside something isn't right. And it was once she got to court, um, she was in the middle of doing her jury duty here and she received the phone call that her husband was killed. So now fast forward to the accident happening and them thinking about all these events that led up to it. She actually said probably him not waking up was probably a sign that something was going to happen to him, that he was the one that never heard anything. So it could have been spirit trying to say, you know, some, something's going to happen to Sam. In 1735, on a dark and turbulent night in the New Jersey Pine Barrens, Jane Leeds was struggling to cope with her 12 children. Upon finding that she was indeed pregnant with a 13th, she cried out in frustration, proclaiming that the unborn child would be the devil itself. When it was born, the child appeared to have hooves, thick wings and the head of a goat. It growled and moaned, pushed itself free of the midwife and flew away, up the chimney and away into the pines. Still seen to this day, the unholy child would become known forevermore as the Jersey Devil. Such stories are surely only folk tales, myths, legends with little more to them. But the Jersey Devil is not the only thing haunting the dark corners of the Garden State. The third state to be ratified in 1787, New Jersey has a long history which is mired in horror and bloodshed, murder and mystery. From the spy house in Bayshore, where legendary pirate Captain Morgan tortured people in the basement, to the Devil's Tree in Bernard's Township, a supposed gateway to the other world which curses any who try to fell it, there are no shortage of terrifying locations. In these twisting times that we all now live, many of us are confined to our homes. But no virus shall halt the intrepid. Leading the charge, determined to continue the investigation into what walks those dark hallways, those lonely graveyards, those ancient inns, Richard Moschella 
has a project in his hands. His New Jersey paranormal project, comprising a perfectly selected group of extremely talented and dedicated investigators, have made it their mission to unearth what lies beneath. Richard recently compiled some of the most gripping, most compelling, downright weirdest tales from their project into a book, and he joins us tonight to talk about some of them and to share with us what pulls him from his home time and again to peer beyond the veil. So this story, you know, when you're 10, 11 years old and your parents start telling it while you're sitting around a kitchen table having tea and, you know, there's parties happening really piqued my interest and having that close of a connection to, you know, the story and it being my grandfather that I never got to meet really piqued my interest in the paranormal. And then after that, leading up as the years started happening, I actually started feeling sensitive to uh, spirit in places that I would move. Um, there's been many apartments where I've heard voices coming out of, out of nowhere, um, footsteps, seeing images. So this was something that I just kept, kept to myself because pretty much prior to 2000, anything to do with the paranormal and ghosts, and if you went out on public radio or television and said, you know, I'm hearing and seeing things, you might be locked up. <laughs> so uh, fast forward to 2000 now, we have, you know, taps and ghost hunters on, you know, television, and it started to become cool. Like, yo, you're a paranormal investigator. So 2007, you know, I'm out of high school. I graduated in 2000. So out of high school, I said, you know, it'd be really cool if I could start working on maybe as a hobby, putting together it. A paranormal investigation, you know, team. So uh, in 2007, I made the attempt to do that with the uh, New Jersey Paranormal Project. If you look on my YouTube, you'll actually see the first video I, sh I shot in 2007 up at the ring at at the Ringwood Manor, <clears throat> and uh, you'll see I'm I'm wearing this Indiana Jones cap, and I thought I was gonna you know explore the paranormal all by myself. And it was just a very hard thing to do. I needed a team. And at that point, nothing was really clicking. So the New Jersey Paranormal Project, I put up on a shelf. And in 2009, I got into professional bass fishing. So once the fishing thing, I, I kind of did everything I could. All of a sudden, you know, as anybody does, you look at that shelf that you have, things that you want to work on. And I said, well, let's take that paranormal project off again and see, because now I don't need to spend nine hours to be an investigator, four or five hours. And I could be home. I don't have to put in all the work of traveling the country, doing lectures on fishing. So I took that project down and uh, started to work on my first video. And then immediately I'm surfing the Internet and I find Ghost History Medium. And at that, Ghost History Medium is a uh, husband and wife that combine history and the paranormal, which is my passion. When you could combine those two, I feel like they go hand in hand. So I found, I found the ghost history medium on YouTube. And at that, she's investigating Hibernia Cemetery, which is right in Rockaway Township, the town that I live in. And it's a stone's throw away from my house. And I wanted to go. I, I messaged her on YouTube and said, we need to do this. And at that moment, I, we talked about the team and starting one, and then all the pieces just came together. 
Um, we had Kim and Kyle join us. And within a few weeks after that, we had Marcy and Hayden. And that's our team. You know, that's, you know, who we stuck with. And that's us, you know, and we take great pride in combining history and the paranormal. It's nice when the, uh, it feels like the stars align and yeah. something may have been sitting on that shelf on that back burner for, for quite some time, for, for quite some time in your case, yeah. in this case. And then it comes down and sometimes you just see one domino fall and, and before you know it, they've all gone and you realize they've all gone in the right direction. And actually that, that book, as you say, that came back down off that shelf, that project came back down off the shelf at that time, almost for a reason to, to connect you with all those other people. And uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice when you, it, it, there's a positive effect, isn't there? And, you know, everybody says to me, fishing and the paranormal are two, you know, far, far apart things, but I'm like, don't let one thing you do define you. I mean, there's many layers to a person. And, yep. you know, if I said for the rest of my life, you know, I'm just a fisherman, I'm not going to write about the paranormal or investigate it. That book's just going to sit there until, you know, you die. I mean, you're unfulfilled. I mean, if you feel that you've have something, if you have something up on that shelf, whatever that shelf, you know, holds for you, take it down, take it down, look at it. So at certain times, certain things click. And the paranormal project was that for me. I mean, everything just came together at perfect timing. You know, it attracted the right people. And I, you know, said to my friend, Marcy, um, who I investigate with. It was almost like spirit itself was like, you know, this is your next phase. This yeah. is that next part of your life. If we're to ever make any headway in breaking the enigma of what exists in the afterlife, what exists beyond the plane of our own existence, what these ghosts we talk of truly are, then a single faceted approach is of very little use. There are countless scientific studies techniques and pieces of technological equipment which may be employed to determine anomalous factors in the environment or to see or hear things which we may not detect with our own eyes or ears. Though it's an often repeated claim by investigators that too much tech can be detrimental to the research. An ever-increasing amount of investigation teams include members with psychic or empathic abilities. They're able to detect a presence where nobody else may do so, or to verify some piece of data which the tech may have found. Often brought into the location with little or no previous knowledge of its history or the history of its inhabitants, they can be a vital tool in the research. Well, I'll start with the medium, Kim. Um, having a medium with you, it's almost like the Hans Holzer approach to something, is when you could have a medium with you who could pick up on who's at this location. And immediately if she goes into a location and she starts picking up key things that I have in a folder, that is the history of the place that she has no idea to, you know, I don't show her any of the digging that I did and she doesn't want to know anything about it. So when we go in and we're using a medium and she starts picking up on things and even sometimes subtle things, you know, if there, you know, was something very minor that happened and she starts talking about it. Um, that really kind of like shows the team, like maybe we should focus in this area. And uh, Kim is very good. Uh, she'll go into locations and immediately, even on her way there, start picking up stuff. And when she gets out of the car, she's on. Um, she works very good with Marcy. Now, Marcy is an intuitive. 
And what I, you know, really love about Marcy, she has an older approach. So Marcy likes using dowsing rods, she likes pendulums. Um, she has a very good sense of feel and um, audible. So she doesn't see, but she actually at locations that, that, that we go to, she's touched, she hears. Um, and then that also works off Kim because they work off of each other. And then when we have them both at a location and the dowsing rods are, you know, following through with what me, what, what Kim's getting as, you know, our medium and they're both clicking through. It's, it's just a great, great thing to witness. Um, myself, I am a little clear uh, voyant where I can actually see. And that's what started getting me into the spirit art. Um, when I go into locations, sometimes it's like an old movie that's playing. Um, I'll start seeing these images start flashing through, you know, your, your like mental, you know, picture, you know, of, of just seeing these images and uh, all of us, again, talking about fate and how things come together. It was just a great matchup. Like everybody's ability really shines. And Kim's husband, Kyle, does great video work. So now we have him who who's on location with us and he's shooting pictures. He's doing video work. Hayden is fantastic as a tech. He knows everything about gadgets and gear. And if we need something fixed real quick, he's right there with it. So the, the, the team is really functioning on all cylinders. And uh, people ask, can, can we add you know, more, more, more members to it? We can, but we kind of like keeping this core group. And we like working with different people. So we're open to other investigators coming in or sensitives or um, other investigators from other teams, because it's great to share knowledge. And this is how I believe we all learn is by sitting down and having conversations and you talking about what your beliefs are. I'm talking about what mine are and uh, you form theories, but I would definitely recommend if anybody's forming a team, you know, Hans Holzer always said the most important thing of any investigation is having a good medium. And you can see through all his investigations at all his um, locations that he went to, he had a very good medium with him. And that really propelled his investigations to a whole new level. So that was what I looked for, finding a really good sensitive, finding a very good medium. And you see the product of what we put together with the New Jersey Paranormal Project on YouTube and the episodes. And when they go together, it's, 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 it's just really a phenomenal thing. And we've been in a location where we find that the highest tech stuff that, that, that we're using sometimes like the Ren pods and the Phasma box um, really isn't picking up anything. But then when we use dowsing rods and a medium, we get something. Um, there was an episode where we crawled into a cave in Jersey where the Lena Lenape, in, in, where the Indians hunted and gathered, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, right? So we crawl into this cave with the REM pod, set it up, and I said, why don't we play some tribal music, you know? So all of a sudden we started playing the tribal music. The REM pod is right next to, you know, the phone, quiet as can be, and then all of a sudden, it just starts doing a circle with its lights. All to the music. And then when the music stopped, the lights stopped. 
And if anybody out there, you know that that's activated by motion. And there was nobody else in that cave except the phone that was playing the music and the REM pod. And I, I looked at Marcy, I'm like, this is a beautiful experience because who knows how long ago they heard that. And then all of a sudden you introduce that to that environment and that environment just peaked like that. And all along, before we played that music, it was quiet. I mean, we were using dowsing rods and they really weren't really answering us too much. Marcy saw um, and felt the presence of like a little girl. She, she She's like, I, I feel that there's a young child in you know the cave. And, but whoever was in there really came alive once that music started playing. So I, I like doing that too. I like introducing music from a time period and to see if we get any reaction. It's kind of the premise of a trigger object. You know, if I'm investigating a place from World War II, let's play some World War II, the troops are coming home songs and, and ask them, did you know, did you enjoy this? Did, did you like this song? Or, you know, what does this mean to you? Uh, we were investigating a place in Sussex County, if you watch that video, and it's a Civil War recruiting station that dates back to 1864. So I'm a history geek, so I started singing an old song from like the Civil War, you know, the years go by, oh Lorena. And I'm singing this old song and I go, so when was this song from? And you hear a voice clear as a bell come through the phasma box and it says, wartime. And it's just things like that that make the hair stand up on your arms when, when things click like that. And I feel sometimes song does that, especially when you're investigating a certain piece or a certain time period in history. So you briefly mentioned, if I'm not incorrected, Waterloo Village. Is that the, the place? Tell me about it, because I didn't know what it was, and so I had a brief look before we spoke, and the whole idea of it is, is, quite, is quite kind of quirky and unusual to me. It's not something we don't really have disused, discontinued, and then refound towns town. and villages. <laughs> yeah, we, we just have a hundred-year-old town. Uh, can you tell us briefly a little bit about it and, and what you were doing there? Um, what Waterloo Village was, was... In northern New Jersey, they built the Mars Canal System. And the Mars Canal System actually allowed them and workers to move through certain sections of, of our state. So when this, when, when this canal was built, Waterloo Village was pretty much built around this canal. And a lot of workers went there, mill, mill workers, um, and they created homes. And it became this bustling town. But when the canal dried up, and they didn't need it, they left it. So, you know, fast forward through the different decades and stuff, you have different things happening. At one point, these hobos moved in because it was close to a train. So then you have the hobos coming in. And then you had like squatters come in. And then, at, you know, as time progressed now in, into, you know, the present day, it's this abandoned town that's now historical because it was built during the Mars Canal period. And all these buildings are just skeletons. Um, They're all empty, but prominent people at different points, whether it was like iron people, if, if, if you were working with you know, iron, 
you know, this, this ore was transported through the Mars Canal. So all these different people throughout New Jersey history lived in, in that section. So at one point it was very prominent. And uh, now it's owned by the park system and they have it as a living historical park. So you could actually walk through where, you know, all these events happened and, you know, all these important people stayed. You, you could look at their homes at certain times. If it wasn't a pandemic, they actually have the homes open that you could walk through. And throughout the years, people have caught paranormal activity on camera, whether it be shadows or images in like the glass windows or sensing, you know, something eerie, dogs barking at things that aren't there. So again, you know, looking at a book, I said, Waterloo Village is a place we have to go. And it was a beautiful fall day. We teamed up with the Lady Ghostbusters, which is another group here in northern New Jersey. And with the Lady Ghostbusters, we met them there. And it, now it was forming two, two big groups. Our, you know, core group with a group about six Lady Ghostbusters. And this actually allowed us to spread out, which was something that we really don't do. You know, we kind of grouped our people and uh, we all concentrated though, eventually on one home. And I wrote about that home in, in the book because immediately as I looked at this home, I saw in my mind's eye, a little girl just running, running around the house. And the mediums who were at that point, part of a different team started picking up on the same thing. So once I mentioned to them what I was seeing, they're like, I'm seeing that too. And that meant more to me when a trained medium is telling me that they saw her. And it was almost like she started to play a game with me because I had the K2 meter and I started walking walking around the house. And when I would walk around the house, the medium would, would tell me she's right there. She's right. It was almost like she was following me like around the house playing like this hide and seek game. We got to the back of the house and my K2 just went quiet and the medium said she actually went back in. And, uh, you know, it, it was just really cool to have that interaction with, with spirit and actually have the evidence as the mediums are telling me and the K2 is showing me that there's a high electric magnetic field around me. Now, somebody would say, well, maybe it was just emitting in that area. Once they told me that she went back in, I walked where I was walking and I was getting no spikes. You know, it wasn't lighting up orange and red. It was just baseline, you know, green. And, you know, just having that interaction with her, you know, you, you, you kind of think, you know, are they just watching people go by? You know, is this exciting to them that they can have this interaction with like people? You know, but that that was the Waterloo Village story. I don't think spirits are stuck. That's one thing. You know, I don't think a spirit is just stuck and they can't move on. They might be stubborn and refuse to go on to that next step. Um, I think sometimes they could be attached to something that they don't want to let go of. But I don't feel that, you know, God or spirit itself would not let, let, let that person move on. Um, it's almost like a spiritualist view where I feel that, you know, somebody might say, oh, it's an evil spirit in that house. Well, it might just be a really bad person that we're interpreting 
as an evil spirit because we watched the Hollywood movies. We, you know, saw something go flying across the room. But it might be that spirit's way of trying to get your attention. I mean, how frustrating can it be if you hear people all day, you're trying to get a message through and they don't hear anything that you're saying. Um, and there's been many mediums that went into homes and uh, the homeowners major complaint is, you know, this cabinet is flying open and it's scaring me. Well, the medium, you know, looks in the cabinet and finds that all the way behind something, her son was hiding drugs. And her, you know, and the father in the household passed, passed on. And the father was doing that from spirit to kind of let them know that there was something in that cabinet. Um, there's, there's little stories like that where it's like, you know, from face value, you go, this house is really, you know, scaring me. But when you look into the core of what could be happening and what's behind something opening or them trying to get, you know, your your attention there, it, it might not be that scary, you know, and there are bad people that, you know, die. And I feel that when a bad person dies, I don't think you go on to the other side and you're an angel and you're playing harps and yeah. I, I would carry on that personality. You just hope eventually that that person learns to progress and move on. But I, it's such a tricky thing because, you know, then you get people saying, you know, about the demonic. I never experienced that. And I really don't want to if it exists. But, um, you know, but evil spirits and stuff, I think um, most most of the time, it's just probably bad people in life. And I believe that that's what carries on. You know, what but kind of person living people who I don't want anything to do with, who, whose yeah. home you wouldn't want to go into, uh, you know, as, as normal people in our world. So. Yeah, it, there's there there's you know homes that we walked into and you just feel energy that's like they don't want to be bothered you know as you're investigating these you know places they're not really warm to what's happening and when we go in a key thing we do right off the bat is and we're all on board with this is introduce ourselves hi i'm rich i'm marcy i'm kim i'm kyle and as we go through this we we state our intentions we're here to tell your story you know, and we would love the opportunity to get to talk to you, to get to know you. And if you want to show yourself in any of our, our gadgets or make your presence known, we would love to document that and tell whether it's the location or to tell the person's house that we're in. And this is your opportunity to do so. And if you don't, that's completely fine with us. You know, we've some investigations go in and they start demanding things right off the bat with, you know, tell us your name. When did you die? And if somebody walked into your house and started to demand that from you, would you be vocal? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, so I believe you could rub a spirit the wrong way. And our approach, like I say, is combining that history and bringing it in, which now plays a part. Because if I have history that says, you know, something occurred, there was sickness, this person, you know, you, you, you can mention that as you're sitting down and you're having this spirit box session. Or you're talking about the REM pod and you have that REM pod set up and you say, you know, were, were you very sick for a long time? If you were, can, can you light up the REM pod or can you come through and tell us or you, you know, lost a child? I'm very sorry about that. Can you, you know, tell us her name or his name? 
So I, I believe it's all in the way that you approach spirit too, that kind of helps them warm up to you as an investigator. And it's the right way of doing it over the wrong way. We really target what we're doing with historical places. We, we really don't do many private homes yet, but we do have people that are, you know, giving us addresses. Oh, I want you to come to my house. And, you know, as, as long as they're open to our technique and what we come into, um, we're, we're more than happy to go. And we know other groups. So if there's something more that, you know, we feel that we can't handle or it's too big for us, there are other groups in New Jersey that are like phenomenal. Barefoot, paranormal, um, New Jersey paranormal. The, the, these are huge groups that have many years of experience. And uh, I always say, you know, we bow our house, you know, like our hats to the people that came before us and we learn off of each other. So there's great groups out there yeah sure what's been your favorite place ringwood manor um it's a beautiful estate in northern new jersey rolling hills um it dates back to pre-colonial um early early you know 1700s um it was the mapper's home who served with george with with george washington now, George Washington's mapmaker, you know, Robert Erskine, um, lived, lived at the manor for a period of time. And then he, he passed away and his, his grave is up, up on a beautiful hill that o overlooks a uh, lake. And then as time went on, the iron there, uh, the iron ore and the iron that was coming out of northern New Jersey, uh, right around the American Revolution. And during the American Revolution, a lot of our mountains were all used for iron ore. So there's mining areas all over. So pretty much the Ringwood Manor had the Hewitts and the Coopers. So Mr. Hewitt, Mr. Cooper. Cooper pretty much let Hewitt have the manor all to himself. And this is where the paranormal stuff supposedly starts happening, where his daughters, you know, loved, you know, the property. He loved the property. And they would say that they would see a lantern up on the hill, which was the ghost of Robert Erskine. And years start flowing through. Now, all of the Ringwood Manor ore was used through all different parts of our history here, here in the States. The American Revolution, cannon shot, cannonballs, um, Civil War, muskets, um, cannons, in fact, they still have pieces of this on their property where you can actually still see cannons that were used at Vicksburg, you know, which again, you're moving these instruments that played a huge role in war. Now you're placing them on, you know, a property, the chain that stretched across the Hudson River to stop the British ships from, from, from coming up our uh, river was actually forged out of iron from the Ringwood area. So all these pivotal things that are playing like a part and the Native American history from the Ringwood Manor, 
before the matter was even built, the land was known as a mystical kind of place where things would happen. So you have the land already having this mystical value. And now you have, you know, these artifacts from war after wars ended. There's a ring, Ringwood Manor when you walk in, they have their game room and there's all the rifles and all the muskets and everything on, on the wall that was used in battle. Um, and it's just there on the display. You have, you know, politicians at the time who, who have come and stayed there. Washington had, had stayed at this place. Sprawling mansion, you know, you could take tours. The only thing is they're not really open to having paranormal groups come in. But in the 1970s, um, Hans Holzer went and he investigated the matter. And at that time, it was still open for paranormal in, investigations to take place. So when Hans went, his medium actually picked on a, a servant that was still haunting the place. And when the superintendent would hear the footsteps and things happening, he actually said it was the servant's ghost and uh, Mrs. Hewitt wasn't very happy at having company. She, she was kind of against tours being led through, you know, the home. But if you go online and you research the manor and you look at it, you'll, you'll see it's just a beautiful, beautiful home in a beautiful place. But it definitely has a feel. When you get out of your car and you start walking the grounds, you feel the energy there. And it's, it's just a strange kind, you know, just like a strange feeling where when you're walking through and you do, you know, they do offer tours when, you know, the pandemic is not happening. You could take tours through it and it's just a beautiful building, but it's definitely, there's a lot of spirit there. And when you walk through the old cemetery, we have a video posted on, on our YouTube and we did a phasma box session, which is spirit radio. Um, and Robert Erskine, we believe really came through because he was using terminology from that time period. Um, mapping downtown was almost like a code word for your, you know, mapping. And we believe that we heard that. We believe we heard his, you know, name come, come over the uh, Phasma box and he's coming through. And I actually was saying Robert Erskine. And I think I really got him a little offended because we swear the Phasma box said Erskine, like get it straight. <laughs> and that's on the YouTube video. That's on YouTube, you know, cut all of our episodes and that's what we want. We, we want you, the viewer, to kind of come along with us and you're almost like the sixth investigator, you know, watch, watch the videos, see if you pick something out. I try to not edit them too much. So the evidence is still out there and it's presented, but it's also out there for you, the viewer, to feel like you're coming along with us and you're analyzing all these episodes. And, uh, you know, we really try to get a variety. So we, you know, do historical places and we also do, you know, places that played huge parts in our American history here. We were investigating this location of historical uh, importance here in Jersey. And we're investigating this, you know, place and uh, we go down in the basement. Now it's known as just a place that played a role in the industrial period in Northern New Jersey. 
So we go down to this basement and we were picking up on workers. We were picking up on people who actually, you know, worked close to this building. And we go down in the basement and the person who, who is with us, who's running the place is like, okay, this here's our basement. And, you know, we set up the electric voice and we're running our, you know, fast box. And uh, all of a sudden we, we hear help, help, help. We heard three really strong helps. And I look at the other investigators. I'm like, what's happening? And uh, almost even started sounding like a banging was coming through the phasma box. And you don't get that. If you just run run the phasma clean, you don't hear banging. You know, it's, it's, it was very odd. And our medium came down and she didn't even hear the helps. She walks down about four stairs into the basement and looks at the man who's running the place and says, somebody's buried down here. And now this location is not nowhere near a cemetery. No, I mean, there's a Dunkin' Donuts next door. I mean, <laughs> there should be nobody buried in this building. And she was, firm on it. She's like, there is somebody buried in this basement. Now, history noted nowhere. Nobody should have been buried anywhere in this building. Yet, this medium is like, yeah, there is somebody down here and they feel like they need help. So that was pretty shapeable. I mean, when you're in a situation where, you know, I, I read our history when, when we're going in here and you know, I kind of want my group to feel safe and to expect, you know, to a certain degree, what our night is going to entail. And when, you know, we are, when we're in this basement where there could be a body, I mean, even if it was during 17 or 1800, uh, the creep factor shoots up to about a hundred. I mean, <laughs> um, Another place where I was kind of rattled a little bit was the Whippy, the Whippany Burial Ground. And that's also in uh, the book. It was about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night in the summer as the sun starts going down and, you know, things are quiet and we're leaving the, the cemetery. And I said, it, you know, Marcy and Hayden, I said, you know, guys, well, let's, let's just let them know that we're shutting down all the equipment and we pretty much just said out, out loud, you know, okay, we're going home now. This is your last chance. I remember just taking a bunch of pictures and all of a sudden as I'm home and I'm looking, I see this mist that's up in like the tree. So I zoom in a little, turn it around and the picture's in the book. And that's where you see that face that's in like the mist. And uh, it didn't look too happy. And <laughs> That that was a, uh, another point where I was like, maybe they were just kind of like observing us from afar or, but, you know, it was definitely an eerie face to come through and I never had something so clear. Again, you'll see in, you know, the book, I know you're not running video, but I'll show you and then I'll go into the story. I sketched a picture of a little boy in a hat when we were at the Butler Museum. Now at the Butler Museum, when we went in in the fall, I walk into a certain section of the museum where the ticket window was. 
And again, you know, it doesn't always kick in, but it kicked in there. And I saw the image of a little boy with like a derby hat and he's just running around the place. And I even said to the guy that runs it, I said, hey, Paul, I'm like, I really feel that this kid feels like he has the run of the place. You know, again, I don't feel like he died here. It could be a place that he loved to come in life. Maybe his parents like taking him on the trains. And, you know, that again is what makes me think sometimes spirit you know, you don't have to die at a place to be there. You know, you could visit it. I, you know, feel that spirit's not stuck and maybe they can travel. You know, we could be anywhere. But this little boy is running around the train station. And I said, you know what? It, the image was with me so long that when I'm at work the next day, I'm sitting there on my lunch period and I start drawing him. You know, like I drew it and I put it into the file and we, we just went back this past weekend with our spirit artist. She works at the Journey Within, which is a spiritualist church where they develop mediumship and stuff. So I started, you know, to do videos with, with, with them and to sharpen my abilities. But now this medium is with us, uh, Dawn, and she starts sketching. Now she knows nothing about the image that I drew and she starts sketching and she writes young boy and the image matches exactly the image that I drew about a year ago. And it's the same boy with the same hat, even where I put it down a little bit, she, she has the same dip. So as she starts drawing this, my eyes are like wide, you know, I'm like, oh my God. And I, I showed her, you know, like the sketch in the book because they have them for sale by, you know, mother. So I show them the sketch in the book. I go, Dawn, look at this. She goes, oh my God, awesome job, Rich. You know, and that just validated that I connected at that point with that little boy. You're still investigating here in Jersey. Um, we're just not doing big, you know, gatherings. So as long as it's like 25%, which we could still get into like historical societies, since usually it's only our team of five or six, and the person who's running the place, we're still able to get into places. Um, so we're, we're working on that. Uh, this coming weekend, I'm doing a book signing at the Butler Museum where all, all these events kind of happen. It's like going back home. It's, it's a great location. The spirits like us. So why not have a book signing there? So it's going to be socially distanced. You know, they're only going to let so many people in. But so we have that coming up investigations you can find us by going online to www.newjerseyparanormalproject.com find us on youtube facebook twitter i try to do all that and also um you can find us on youtube and on youtube you can watch all of our videos and you'll see it's our passion it's our hobby and it's very important for us to share information and to meet other groups other people other like like-minded, you know, people that love, love this subject matter. And I'm currently working on a second book. This is going to be the one that kind of is the bookend to this guy. And it's going to be called Spirit Voices, Spirit Communication. And with that, it's going to be very in-depth. In it's going to be a more closer look at how I feel the communication with spirit works. And I'm also interviewing friends in it that are in the field. So electric voice, we, we have a uh, friend of mine, Ron, who's going to be um, talking about that. We have Dawn, the spirit artist. So it's going to have just so much information on different aspects of communication with spirits. So spirit voices should be out probably by the summer.
And you can find the book on Amazon. The book's on Amazon right now, and uh, you can get it on Kindle too. So I really thank you for having me on and uh, hope everybody out there really enjoys the book. So Rich, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your uh, your schedule to come and speak with us. Um, yeah, it's, been, it's been lovely to, to hear all about your work. It's really been great talking with you, Mark, and hopefully we can do this again soon. You know it. When that second book comes out, Definitely. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you so much. And I really hope everybody out there enjoys the book. So thank you. Enjoy. Lots of love to, to you and to the team. Definitely. Thank you. Peer Beyond the Veil has been written and presented by myself, Mark Watson, as part of the Fearscape Media Network. Music and soundtracks are credited and licensed to Purple Planet and to Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. All rights are reserved by our parent company, MLW Publishing. You can follow us at facebook.com forward slash peerbeyondtheveil or on Twitter at peerbeyondtheveil or at peerbeyond2020. Please click the like and subscribe buttons when you see them, most importantly wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us to attract the attention we need to keep the show going, to get the guests that you all want to hear from, and to help more and more people 